how the faithful city has become a whore. She who was full of justice, righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross, your best wine mixed with water. Your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless, and the widow's cause does not come to them. Welcome back to the Dominion Podcast, Season 2. I am uh, one of your hosts, Jeremy, don't call me Greg Boyd. <laughs> no, no relation to the... Um, heretic. To the known heretic. <laughs> and uh, I'm Alex. All right. Well, we're glad to be back here. Um, I want to give some shout-outs to our sponsors before we start. Upper40.com. Check it out. He just dropped a new single this week, so go check that out. Of course, our unofficial sponsor, KCCS, Kawartha Classical Christian School, uh, which we're both on the board of. So happy to be here, and uh, we've got a very special guest today. I'm going to let Alex uh, do a little intro, and then we'll get into our topic. Yeah, so as, as our listeners know, the theme of our podcast, you can tell from the name, is Dominion. And essentially what that is, um, when we think about dominion, we're thinking about what it means to rule in biblical categories. We're thinking of what it means to live under the rule of Christ and what it means to rule over creation in his name. And our um, kind of overarching theme and belief is that humanity was created in the image and likeness of God to take dominion. And so we want to think about the rule of Christ in every sphere of our life. And we've covered a lot of topics over the last few years. But one thing we haven't delved too deeply into is the stewardship um, of resources. So we could think Mm. of money in particular, but even resources more generally. And uh, kind of the current cultural understanding of the world and its resources and how we accumulate them, whether we should accumulate them, how do we steward that. I mean, even the idea of stewardship is a biblical idea. And so, um, we thought that we would bring on a uh, a friend and a help to the podcast. This week, we want to have a conversation with Jonathan Wellam. Uh, Jonathan is the president and CEO of Rocklink Investment Partners, Inc., He's had a long and prestigious career in investing. He's previously served as a CEO of Portland Investment Council. He is the recipient of various industry awards, including Fund Management of the Year, Fund Manager of the Year from Investment Executive Magazine. He's held positions in corporate accounting and is currently a member of the McMaster University Investment Pool Committee. He holds a Bachelor of Commerce and a Master of Business admin degree from McMaster University and a Bachelor of Science degree from the University of Waterloo. He's completed his formal education with a Master of Arts degree in Theology and Philosophy from Trinity Seminary in Chicago and also holds the designation of Chartered Financial Analyst. Basically, we wanted him to come on because he has a wealth of experience and knowledge in the area of finances. Uh, Jonathan is also a family friend. Um, he is an elder at Trinity Baptist Church in Burlington, which has actually become quite close as a congregation yeah. to both Hill City and Westmount, where Jeremy is a deacon um, over these last few years in particular. So thank you for coming on, Jonathan, and being willing to talk to us. It's a privilege to speak with you. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Great. Um, One of the reasons I wanted to have you on is actually not just because of your experience in finances, 
but um, more particularly, your experience as a Christian man, a theologically minded man, and the way that you apply um, your faith to the area of your expertise. And this is something, in my own experience, uh, is just very uncommon. So when I read things about finances or about resource management, I'm typically reading from someone who is not a Christian. Yeah. And maybe in the past, there has been a whole lot more shared assumptions between Christians and, you know, the leaders of these financial institutions and just the way we think about resources in general. But especially in the last three years, we've, see, we've, we've seen the disparity between worldviews, especially in the area of finances and resources. And as Jeremy opened with, was that from Isaiah? Yeah, Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah 1. And um, I was just thinking about, you know, over lockdowns, many people don't realize that it during lockdowns, there was the greatest wealth transfer from middle class to upper class in the history of the world. Uh, that more people were thrust into abject poverty than ever. And the, the kind of ideologies that underline the you know, the fiscal decisions are not small. There, there, there's a massive difference between the way that Christians ought to think about the world and the way that unbelievers do. So we want to talk to Jonathan about how his faith and how a biblical worldview has come to bear in his life. So maybe I'll open it there for you, Jonathan, is, um, you know, in what ways has a Christian worldview or does a Christian worldview impact our understanding of finances and resource management? Like a lot of people think that's just mathematics and worldview thinking yeah, is ph- philosophy and they don't relate. Math, but math they do. is neutral, of course. There is no worldview right. implications. <laughs> yeah. Well, as we know, there's no neutrality in this world. Yeah. And uh, that's certainly become more evident as we're seeing the divergence in our Western uh, civilization, we're seeing um, it diverge further and further from our Christian roots, where mm-hmm. there were so many assumptions built into all of the areas of life. So, I mean, I was I was raised in a, a, a home, a reformed home, and um, it, it definitely had a worldview uh, orientation. And so, I always thought that finance, politics, you know, economics, science, medicine. Would all should all relate back to your Christian worldview and mm-hmm. presuppositions early mm-hmm. on in my life, and so you know when I got into finance, I just you know built off of those those foundation points. So let's just take a few moments to consider you know some of the sort of foundation or presuppositions of a Christian worldview and why and how they're going to impact economics, Great. which really is human behavior. You're talking really about human behavior. Mm-hmm. So if, if you think of the, the, the most foundational starting point is we start with the, you know, the sovereign creator God. So we start with a created world. Mm-hmm. Right away that tells us that we are subject to that creator's mm-hmm. order and yeah. structure and rule. Mm-hmm. And we believe, of course, in the infinite personal God, a God who is a personal God who has moral characteristics and those and his character is what fills the universe and what establishes the moral absolutes that we are to live by. So that's foundational because if you're going to talk about human behavior and activity and you don't start from a point of creation and a personal God, um, you're, you're going to go off track very, very quickly, mm. very quickly. Mm. This is the Lord's earth. The second part of that, which runs from that first 
that first point is that God has created this world for us mm. and he's created for his glory. But for us, he's put us as human beings made in his image um, in this world. And it's a very resourceful world. Mm-hmm. So then you get into the whole issue of, okay, there's resources in this world and mm-hmm. God's placed us here as you say, to have dominion mm-hmm. using the name of your podcast. And that means as stewards and having dominion, we're to actually develop those resources, mm-hmm. not lay them fallow and uh, let them sit there. But our, our, we're supposed to be productive. We're to be like God in the sense of busy and active and, and thinking and active creatures. Mm-hmm. And so you know, we talk about some of the issues in our own day where we're not to we're not to touch the earth's resources anymore. Right. We aren't to have dominion anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, we are to be subservient to the creation. Well, that mm-hmm. changes your whole view of economics uh, dramatically, as we're seeing. And um, and so you know the, the Bible also you know basic presupposition starting point is that work and economics are honoring to God, and that's mm-hmm. why He's placed us here. So mm-hmm. you know work as uh, we know, precedes the fall. Mm -hmm. And it's also something that we have to do uh, even more so after the fall because, Mm -hmm. you know, our lives are frustrated by the curse Mm -hmm. of sin. And and so all of these things come together. When you think of uh, Genesis 1 and 2, everything that God has laid out from his, you know, starting with himself as the creator and then this ordered universe, that's structured uh, for his glory, but for our good, he's placed us here to utilize all these resources uh, to be um, in fellowship as male and female, Mm -hmm. two genders, starting with the family unit and so forth. Long before the state, uh, this is going to have a massive, massive impact on your economics. Mm -hmm. And I would argue that if you're looking at the problems that we're seeing today, they are a dismantling of Genesis 1 and 2 right. and a rejection of the fall, mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. And so everything we can look at that's going wrong will get you back to those you know, basic starting points being unraveled or attacked you know, by our world, by our culture, and, uh, of course, by Satan, ultimately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So much of what we've seen in the last hundred years has been this attack on Genesis, right? Obviously, from a scientific perspective, there's been an attack on it. And Satan's doing that for a reason. He understands that that is really the foundation of everything we believe. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that's a good point you make. What we're seeing now is humans are a blight. We're, uh, you know, we're kind of a... Yes. Um, a cancer. We're a cancer, and the, the earth is good, people are bad, so we need to minimize... Um, our effect on the earth mm-hmm. uh, it, for any good, good or bad. I mean, there would, in their minds, probably be no good effect that we would have on earth. So we need to minimize that. Um, can you talk a little bit more about what that leads to? What, how is it that that pagan worldview affects ec- economics? The fact that we shouldn't be affecting the world. Yes, yes. And, and even before I go there, it's quite interesting. I mean, if you looked at this world, if you go down to people love to go to Florida, mm-hmm. uh, they love to go to um, some of the Caribbean countries and so forth. If you think of you know, places like Florida and you think of if man had not had dominion over that area and, uh, and uh, clean things up, I mm-hmm. mean, the mangroves and all of the low lying land and the barrier islands that were just full of uh, mosquitoes and so forth, largely uninhabitable. I, I use those as a very stark example of how you can create billions and billions and billions of dollar of value in an economy mm-hmm. by 
by shepherding and stewarding the land that God has given us Mm -hmm. just in an area like that, where people like to go down and enjoy themselves. You weren't doing that a hundred years ago in Florida, unless you had man intervene Mm -hmm. in the created order, not to mention, of course, all of the extractive industries that uh, we benefit from, from, uh, you know, base metals to uh, the oil and gas. But how does that impact? Well, if your view is that man is the cancer that we're the problem. And in fact, it's gotten so crazy in our universities that the solution is to stop reproduction altogether, that children are the largest contributors to carbon. And therefore, since children are the largest contributors to carbon, we should stop having, you know, children, we should stop having families. Mm -hmm. And and when you think about that, that is the direct attack upon Christ. It's a direct attack upon God that we are not to have families. I mean, he ultimately is building his church and we need to be reproducing. And he's, you know, he's doing that through uh, procreation and so forth. That's a direct command that we were given Mm -hmm. to, you know, to have children. And yet our world by twisting the environmental game and the whole climate change agenda, at at the end of the day, what it really gets down to is to kill off man, to get rid of us. And that's the ultimate objective. And uh, we've seen that slowly come in through abortion and then uh, through now you know, you know, euthanasia and infanticide. I mean, it's just continued to develop throughout our culture. But how does that work itself out? If you just think, well, in our current environment, if we're going to just look at the world through, um, you know, through not, not intervening with it and not creating any disturbance to the world and you have that, that sort of attitude, well, think of the, the last couple of years where they're trying to go through an energy transition, yeah. this big energy transition they're talking about. So let's get off all fossil fuels. Let's get off you know, clean coal. Um, energy sources that have created, that, that have given us tremendous advances, mm-hmm. a lot of energy which we need to run the economy, take uh, many people out of poverty around the world. Mm-hmm. So let's just push this agenda that we have to decarbonize and get rid of all fossil fuels mm-hmm. very quickly. Well, what happens? You have to substitute that. And if you're going to do a substitution quickly without um, you know, the technology uh, developing, you're going to go to solar or you're going to go to wind and some of these alternatives, you're going to create tremendous inflation. Mm-hmm. You're going to you know, inflate the cost of energy. And uh, artificially, because we have low energy uh, cost, uh, cost you know, sources. And so if you're going to increase inflation, that's what we're seeing around us, you're going to drop people's standard of living automatically. And that's because they're pushing this agenda a lot faster than it has to be moved, if at all, of course. But that, that's a different story. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you get caught up with a climate change, a green agenda, that the environment is going to be better off without fossil fuels, and you push that agenda and that dominates expect lower standards of living, mm-hmm. expect higher prices across everything, mm-hmm. um, expect higher interest rates. We're going to mm-hmm. have higher levels of inflation. And so that will then have to run through the whole economy. So once you start triggering and making dis- in, in, in decisions like that and not thinking through the implications, yeah. or not caring about the implications, yeah. you're going to have serious uh, impacts throughout the whole economy. And that's one of the biggest reasons why we have inflation now, aside from the printing of money and the silver, our silver becoming dross, as Isaiah says, mm-hmm. um, is the, this whole energy transition. We're, 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 we're forcing up the cost of energy and every single thing we do requires energy. Mm-hmm. And if that cost was up, it has to go through the whole economy. So that's just one example of, uh, 
you know, a forced agenda on yeah. us and uh, the, the cost of that. Yeah. So one of the, one of the themes that comes up over and over when you think about the nature of unbelief is the denial of consequences. So we see this in the beginning in the garden, you know, God says, do not eat of the tree um, of the knowledge of good and evil. The day you do, you shall surely die. And then then Eve is tempted and it's with the lie. It's like, has God really said this? And you will not surely die. And beneath that is a is a, a rejection of the consequences of our actions. Yeah. And we see this, a Christian worldview of economics in the very least is built on the idea that our actions have consequences and we need to think about those consequences. There's nothing you can do that won't have a consequence. But when we when we think about lockdowns and closing businesses and when we think about the green agenda, I mean the irony is in in pushing these this green agenda, quote unquote, we're actually making the environment worse by forcing yeah. countries to go back to coal. I mean yeah. Germany <laughs> Germany fired up its coal plants again. Yeah. And uh, I mean they, they claim that climate change affects the poor uh, more than than the rich, but it's their Cheap. actions that are actually affecting them because uh, you know, in in countries now, they're not allowed to use these cheap sources of energy anymore to to pull themselves out of poverty. So it actually, yeah. uh, our policies are are making Inhumane. life worse for the poor. When our standard of living drops, we've got enough capital here that that maybe maybe it's not going to hurt us as much. But people that are right on the edge of poverty, it's those people that it's really going to hurt. Yeah, yeah. There's those consequences. Yeah, and, 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 yeah, and they and they don't care. They, no, no, they don't care. If you get behind the agenda, you start peeling it back to the individuals who are pushing this agenda. They know that it is a lie, mm-hmm. and um, this is really for um, much larger control purposes. Mm-hmm. It's transitioning economy much more for control, mm-hmm. and uh, these two are inextricably linked. In fact, uh, for many of the leading so-called elites, if you will. Um, they they really would prefer to see a world population back under one billion people. Yeah. And so if there are casualties along the way, they do not care at mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. And uh, we can see how um, perverse, evil, wicked, um, and just downright satanic, um, many of these uh, large decisions are, uh, you know, behind the scenes, the decisions that are being made uh, on, a, on a large scale. And so... That's where we have to push back, of course, and to work through, you know, from a Christian point of view, as Alex pointed out, we live in God's world. Yeah. And if you make bad decisions, then you're going to be impacted and you can't get away from it. Mm-hmm. If you make decisions that are honoring to God and consistent with his um, moral instructions and biblical revelation and created order, then things will go well for you, mm-hmm. generally speaking, mm-hmm. even in a fallen world, that mm-hmm. God will reward those decisions. Mm-hmm. You go against him. Um, you are fighting a losing battle, and it's going to be a painful one. So I want to I want to talk to you about one thing you raised, Jonathan, um, and that is the fact that a Christian view of the of the created world is not that it is limited in its potential, but that it actually has a great potential that is meant to be cultivated, the the biblical language to work and to keep, and um, God put man in a garden, but but he actually had the purpose of man extending that garden um, throughout all of creation, the order and the beauty that was there. And there's this fallacy that says our resources are limited, that we are a cancer, that we ought not to touch things. But even when we think environmentally about, um, uh, you know, conservation, 
So human, if you actually, like I went and visited the forest a couple of years ago that I grew up playing in. I grew up in the country and I spent my whole, we weren't allowed to watch TV. I spent every day, all day outside. And I went to go through the forest and you couldn't because it was too dangerous because all the trees had fallen over. They had died. This huge, rich, beautiful forest of my childhood was completely overgrown. If you leave nature on its own, it doesn't just remain in this serene environment that it actually decays. And it's the same with animals. If you don't actually hunt, like one of the things hunters will tell you is that this is a means of conservation. You don't, you don't like the idea of a deer taking a bullet. That is the most merciful thing that could happen to that animal because if we don't, the way that animal will die is by starvation because of overpopulation or it'll be ripped to shreds and eaten alive, you know, by a wolf or something like that. Like it is actually just wrong that the, the world is, is the humans are a poison. But one of the ways we've seen this flushed out when you think of a Marxist view of economics is that Marxists believe that we accumulate wealth through redistribution. So um, there's a limited pool. There's a limited pool. And it's a zero sum game kind of idea. Yeah. And it belongs to these people. And the way we get it is we, we demand or we take, but a Christian view um, is that we actually, the mechanism for accumulating wealth is labor. And it's no wonder, I don't know what it's like where you live, but our current generation who was raised in Marxist ideology, who was taught to resent the responsibilities of labor, who was taught to resent those who have, also feels totally um, unmotivated to work. Like there's a crisis in the workforce, and I think it's because people don't understand why. Like people don't know why you are supposed to work because it's not tied to resources. So I don't know, Jonathan, do you, do you see that? I mean, that's all I've grown up with in school is that money is something the government have or rich people have, and we need to get it to us. But a Christian view is that we, we, we develop the resources God's given through the sweat of our labor. Right. Yeah, well, I think with the with the loss of the Christian worldview, you, we, we shift from a production orientation mm. to a consumption orientation, mm-hmm. and that's that's really significant. So, you know, God has put us on this world to produce, mm-hmm. to make mm-hmm. things, to provide services, to make things, to be productive. And if you focus on production and stewardship and developing those resources you'll have lots to consume. Mm-hmm. If your preoccupation is on consumption and redistribution, which is a Marxist or socialist way of thinking, you'll have less and less to consume mm. because you're producing less and less. And so this gets back to the area if they really want to unlock and unleash the human potential that God has given us, you need to allow people freedom. And yeah. they have to have freedom to in their vocations, in their work, they can't be encumbered again by the government, and uh, they should have uh, freedom to uh, to to use their gifts and abilities mm-hmm. uh, to the maximum, and and under God's providence, that will create tremendous production mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, if they have access to the resources, and they're not, um, you know, the regulations are not such that they're strangling, which is what we also see now: this control of, mm-hmm. over all of our resources by the government. Mm-hmm. And so, if you unleash the gifts that God has given us and you allow people in a free market to do interchange and, and commerce back and forth, 
you will produce tremendous wealth. And the proof of that is the Northern European countries versus the Southern European countries, which are dominated by Catholicism versus uh, you know, the Reformation, or if you look at North America versus South America. Mm. And, you know, you see, or Australia, New Zealand, where the, uh, the Anglosphere, which was impacted also by the Reformation and Christian thinking, that's where all the wealth was produced. Mm. And that's where you have the highest standards of living. And, um, and so it, it works itself out in very profound ways. And um, you, you start to circumvent that, and uh, people think that somehow wealth just appears you get into this right. this again we've been taught this a little bit more recently with our central banks that you can create wealth by printing money well you right. can't pre- you know, create any wealth by printing money you're giving people money or calls mm-hmm. that they can use to buy productive assets but you have to produce the productive assets you have to produce the products you have to make this you know yeah. be there to you know give the services and if you just give people more money and it's sort of free you're actually stealing from those people who've done the work. Yeah, you're and, only uh, subdividing. You're, 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 you're only yeah. subdividing the existing wealth. You're not creating new wealth. Yeah, and and and, and of course, is what we see now. If they continue carrying that on to the extent we've seen through COVID, mm. now we've got inflation, mm-hmm. and so yeah, you're you're not getting anything more. You're just paying more for it, and our standard of living starts to drop. Could you could you touch on that a bit more, Jonathan? Just for our listeners, like what is inflation, and and why is it bad? And even if it's not, people don't feel as though it's affecting them too severely at the moment. I think most people would recognize it. Um, but why is infl- How is inflation caused, and why is it bad? Yeah. Well, the the major cause of inflation would be you, you'd have excess money in the system that you um, you have more money chasing uh, fewer and fewer goods, mm. and so you sort of bid the price of the goods up. So if you think about it, um, in the in the last uh, three years, uh, the federal government in in Canada added about three hundred billion dollars of fresh money that is printed and distributed out into the. Uh, into the uh, Canadian population, basically. And so all of a sudden you've got that money um, going after um, the, the number of goods that are out there. But if you haven't increased your production and you haven't increased the number of goods, then you're just going to have a, a certain amount of money chasing mm. um, the same amount of goods, but you're increasing, increasing the dollars, so you're just going to bid the price up. And so you start uh, taking the price up. Inflation also can you know, come from uh, you know, just lack of productivity, um, and uh, if we're not becoming more productive uh, over the last, I think, 10, 20 years, our economy has become less and less productive. Now, technology's helped in some areas, but as you've pointed out, people are, um, you know, their work ethics not as, uh, is not as robust and people's, um, you, know, you know, interest in working, creativity. I think creativity has dropped mm-hmm. in our society. We've got excess regulations and so forth. But inflation really is a tax because if you have to continue to pay more more for things, um, then you're really being taxed and your your standard of living starts to drop. Mm-hmm. So um, ideally, ideally, if we were in a really strong, productive economy and we weren't in a debt-based economy, which is what we are in, um, ultimately, if the economy is becoming more productive and you're not increasing the money supply, the price of goods should continue to go down. Mm. We should be able to buy more for every dollar. Now, where you've seen that, just to give, you know, so people can identify with what that means, is if you look at the technology industry, 
the technology industry, we've seen prices drop for quite a few years uh, on you know computers and laptops and things like that. If you go back 20 years and you looked at the kind of power that we have now, mm-hmm. it would cost you a lot more. And so in the area of technology, the efficiencies have grown so much faster than even the inflationary pressures. But at the end of the day, the reason why you don't want inflation is because it steals from you. It, mm-hmm. it, um, it's really a, a form of theft. And uh, it means that uh, you're not running a productive economy and you're going to have your standard of living is going to go down uh, unless you can push your own wages up to, to, to compensate for it. So it's, a, it's really a form of theft. And, uh, and, and again, it just results as a result of uh, uh, too much money chasing too few goods. If you think about the situation we're in right now, and we've had this inflation uh, in the last year and a half or two, it's really jumped up. It's not, you know, we're not used to seeing this. And that's, that's been because there's been supply chain disruptions because of COVID and lockdowns, which was crazy. So it interfered with supply chains. So we couldn't get goods. So people would bid up the price of what they could get. We've had money flushed into the system and people haven't been working. Mm. Um, so that, that, that money that was added has bid the price up. And we've also got just this energy transition. So we, our energy costs are going up because the governments are putting way too many regulations and impediments to developing our energy resources and keeping energy costs down. So it's multifaceted, mm. but in each one of those cases, this is you know, gross ec- economic incompetence. Right. And these are, these are all due to human decisions driven by ideology. Mm. Our standard of living is being attacked by a Marxist socialist ideology. And, uh, and so uh, expect inflation to continue if we're not going to focus on production lowering regulations, keeping energy costs down, controlling our money supply more appropriately, balancing budgets. We don't do that, then we're going to get inflated away. Our wages are not going to uh, you know, stay, uh, stay up and keep pace with this. And people's standard of living is going to continue to erode. Mm-hmm. Is, it, is it fair to say um, that a Christian view of economics is really based on you know, a number of very clear and um, understandable principles and that, you know, because the, the temptation is to feel like the economists know things that we don't know. You know, they're part of the expert class. Um, it takes, it takes, I mean, obviously you do want a measure of expertise when you're doing things, but would you say the, the biggest problems with our economy are actually owing to um, big mistakes regarding simple principles? It's not actually like they got this complex formula wrong in one spot and you could forgive them. It's that we're doing very basic things wrong. Is that fair to say? I say you're dead on. I think uh, that's a great way of, of, um, of putting it. Um, we we um, sort of the high priests of economics and in every area has its own high priests, right, mm-hmm. are the experts. But what we find in many cases is those experts um, are really not um, as, as experts as we think. Right. And a good common dose of common sense and biblical principles mm. would put us much further ahead. That's certainly the case in economics. I think the basic economic principles are very straightforward. The Bible lays them out very clearly. Mm-hmm. If we were to follow those, uh, we would be much further ahead. Uh, what we get is uh, interference by the state, mm-hmm. interference by uh, the government, and uh, regulations, control, um, and and what you really need in, in a dynamic economy is you also need people to lose money. And mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with 
venture capital. And there's no. nothing wrong with it having success and failure. Mm-hmm. One of the challenges over the last 20, 30 years is that we have created a zombie-like economy. When I say a zombie economy, that we've bailed people out too much. Mm-hmm. And it's a good thing when people try something in business and they, you know, maybe they blow their brains out. It doesn't work out. Mm-hmm. But that means the capital, you know, they tried, the capital will fall into the hands of the more prudent people. Mm -hmm. What we've seen is that the central banks and the government, every time there's major problems in industries, they step in and they bail out the the individuals who have made the mistakes. Right. And so they perpetuate, they perpetuate bad business models. They they perpetuate uh, an economy that's not as competitive. And we've seen that especially in the banking sector. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, that's not a good. That's not a good thing. This cheap money. We've lived through basically fifteen, sixteen years of very cheap money. When I say cheap money, you know, one, two percent money. And so we haven't had accountability for our capital. There hasn't been a proper cost on our money. Mm-hmm. And so if money's cheap and it's easy to get, then it's going to flow into people's hands that are not responsible mm-hmm. and are not prudent, are not focused on making good returns. Mm-hmm. And so you, we've seen that. Um, with the recent uh, Silicon Valley Bank uh, situation, I mean, down in Silicon Valley, money was just freeing, you know, flow, flowing freely. Mm-hmm. Um, the central banks were pumping it into the system. And there's loans going out to people who should never have received loans. Mm-hmm. But when money's cheap, your standards are lowered. Your business models and the, the, uh, the discipline you're using as you allocate capital to businesses go way down. And so all of a sudden money just starts going into people's hands that it shouldn't go. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then we create this moral hazard in our economy. And so one of the, a, a dynamic economy also will have business failures mm-hmm. and, uh, and then clean things up. Mm-hmm. You can't just keep things going. So I think one of the challenges we're facing right now as a result of all this mismanagement and, you know, PhDs in, in, in finance and economics and banking get, getting your hands into all of this, who've never run a business, have never signed the front of a check. You have no responsibility in allocating capital of their own. Mm-hmm. It's always someone else's. Mm-hmm. Is that we've got to clean up a lot of these zombie businesses, and um, we will have some defaults, and that's not a bad thing. It's mm-hmm. not a nice thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be painful, but in a Christian economy, there's consequences. Yeah. Your businesses are successful, and they fail, mm-hmm. and then you try it again. And there's nothing wrong with failing in a in a business adventure. We should be. You know, in a Christian economy, it should be very dynamic. We should have tremendous entrepreneurs and mm-hmm. reward risk taking that's mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. been thought out and mm-hmm. and and uh, deliberative. And I think God honors that. And the Bible uh, exhorts us mm-hmm. um, to trust in God and to uh, to be creative, to cast a red upon the water. And uh, we don't know exactly what's going to happen, but we trust the Lord and we work at it. And so we, we've lost a lot of that. We want a lot of handouts, everything guaranteed. Yes. And yeah. uh, our silver platter or, and not work for it. Yeah. So can I, um, uh, the question you just asked about the simple principles uh, that should lie behind a Christian view of uh, the economy. I think it would be good for you to maybe spell out some of those. Where are they coming from in scripture? Uh, so that when we're, when we're analyzing policies that the government is coming up with, or we're analyzing certain things, we can measure it against whatever these simple principles are. Can you lay some of those out for us? Sure. Well, I mean, you can start with uh, the principle of work. I mean, mm-hmm. the Bible makes it clear you don't work, you don't eat. Yeah. Um, and uh, Paul, 
Paul <laughs> Paul uh, speaks to that issue, and he of course always makes it. He also makes it clear that if you are an orphan or if you're uh, a widow, you're the vulnerable. You protect those, you help them, yeah. and you put them into a position where they can work. But certainly, uh, social welfare is not supported by the biblical text in any way, shape, or form. Mm. And I, I find it quite interesting how uh, sometimes people call themselves Christians are socialists, and you're mm. thinking. You know, the Bible has no room for that. The Bible also encourages, um, because we're made in the image of God, the whole issue of work and responsibility. Um, and uh, we should be able to work in the areas that uh, we have been gifted. Mm-hmm. And right. so the whole issue of vocation is a biblical, biblical teaching throughout all of the scripture um, and to util- utilize those gifts. And you know, we see that right from the Old Testament through to, through, through to the New Testament. I think um, the Bible also uh, tells us that we should not centralize control mm. um, and uh, because of sin. And so whenever you have individuals who promote large you know, powers, uh, whether it's in government or in, in certain businesses that are going to control more and more of the uh, economy, the Bible would warn us against concentration of wealth and concentration of power. And so that's one of the biggest reasons for a free market. That God has created us free um, within His uh, within His moral uh, absolutes, but we are to engage in commerce and trade, and we are made to not just communicate as individuals in a fellowship, but also in commerce and business to trade amongst one another. That there's huge advantages in trade, and the Bible certainly um, emphasizes that and um, and speaks to that issue. Um, and so, right, you know, right throughout all of, of course, accountability, mm-hmm. um, planning for the future. Building for the future, um, I think one of the things that um, Christians should always be thinking about is how am I building for the next day, month, year, and a hundred years? Mm-hmm. We should be very long term in our focus, mm-hmm. and we should be building for the next generation, the generation after that. We should be long term in our view, and that's that's a Christian view because we know that God ultimately is behind everything, and it's, this is His story, and we believe in that His. Uh, his purposes will be, you know, will be, are, are coming to fruition. There's meaning and purpose and there's tell us um, in, in everything that we do. And so a lot of times Christians, they look at the world, especially the world we're in today and they go, man, there's chaos. Um, what's going to happen? Um, we're we're going to, you know, the, the Lord's going to return tomorrow type of thing. Uh, I can see all the panic. We're going to, you know, we have, you know, you know um, digital currencies. Mm-hmm. We've got the WEF and you go through the whole list of things, right? Um, but we, we shouldn't be viewing that way. We mm-hmm. should be, uh, again, good representatives of Christ, standing for truth, pushing back against evil, but also building institutions mm-hmm. that are going to last. Mm-hmm. Because the institutions that we're seeing now in our culture, uh, the universities, our, our medical institutions and so forth, I mean, they're in free fall. They're collapsing. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not, they're not, they're not uh, bulwarks any, anymore. And, uh, and so we have to constantly be looking forward and uh, – and building the other thing that the government, uh, if you look at the Bible, I should say, speaks about is low levels of taxation. The Bible in no way supports you know large levels of taxation. You can see the taxation system in the Old Testament uh, was generally in the twenty odd percent uh, range if you were to add it all up and so forth. Um, but uh, the Lord warned the people about um, kings and taking too much money and controlling mm-hmm. too much um, of the economic pie. Mm-hmm. And so again, when you look at our situation today, um, I've used these stats before, but in Canada, uh, back in 1960, 
only 15% of our, our total economy would have been government expenditures, 15% if you took our total gross domestic product, all the production. But in 2020, that number was 52.5%. Wow. So we've had this massive wow, expansion crazy. of the state. That's, um, that's over half of our GDP. In, in countries like France, it's over 60%. Wow. And so this, again, is a complete inversion of a Christian worldview and a Christian view of government and its involvement in all aspects of our life. And uh, we would be, you know, should obviously be pushing back against that. And we're seeing that as the government grows, it's a ratchet effect. It really only grows one way. It's very hard to take it back. Yeah. And the taxes go up and up and up. And we're at a point now in the United States, also in Canada, the Western world, where our governments are so large, we cannot fund them with tax dollars anymore. Mm. They're so large. The deficits in the United States at the federal level here in Canada, if they were to actually plug those deficits, um, they, uh, they would not have the tax dollars to do it. The only way they're doing it now is by printing money and filling the system. And uh, the only way you're ultimately going to balance budgets is a massive cutting back in the size of government. We mm-hmm. must cut back the size of government. We must privatize substantial portions uh, which the government currently controls. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, unless we are prepared to privatize and put that back into the hands of the people, um, our standard of living is going to, again, continue to go down because the government is too large. And as you guys know, if there's, if there's one inefficient, ineffective, and generally incompetent sector it's the government sector. Mm-hmm. It's not subject to competition. They're the worst allocators of capital mm-hmm. in the economy. Mm-hmm. So don't give them a large portion of the economy. If we do, we do that at our at our uh, at our at our risk and at uh, at a lower standard of living. Yeah. Well, there's there's no consequences. Right. Like that's that's why. Like in a free market, as you say, yes. that's fundamental to a free market is consequence. Yeah, and so pressure by yeah. other people trying to make the same product as you yeah. so you've got to compete in in the free markets if you if you think about the, the free it, it was quite interesting if you look at the dirtiest economies i mean in terms of uh pollution and not caring about their people they're all socialist communist countries <laughs> yeah they're all these these utopian countries the cleanest most efficient efficient economies are going to be ones that have the highest degree of freedom in them because there is accountability as alex has pointed out there's mm-hmm. there's consequences if you want to have the best ability to keep people honest, mm-hmm. put them in a free market. Mm-hmm. Because if you're running a, a store or you're creating a product and it's not high quality and you've got a competitor that is, they'll get all your business. Yeah. And, and so the it, same thing with you're running a restaurant and you're not coming up with uh, you know, the best of meals and you've got someone competing down the street at a lower price and they're gathering the business, you're out of business. Yeah. And so... The free market actually, again, it's, nothing's perfect in a fallen world. Mm-hmm. It actually um, enhances the attributes that we should exhibit as Christians. Honesty, integrity, mm-hmm. quality, all of those things are actually lifted up in a free market. Mm-hmm. They are deprecated and they're pushed down wherever you have control and you don't have a free market. Mm-hmm. And that's why um, you know, free markets thrive uh, when you have Christian virtues and yeah. Christian um, ethics within them, but they also bring it out too. Because if you don't have again some of those those ethical demands, and you're in a competitive business, 
you're out of business. Yeah. And that's, that's a beautiful checks and balances that um, you have in a free market. And a lot of, again, Christians, they don't see that. They say, well, you know, the government doesn't have to make a profit. Therefore, it's <laughs> going to be more efficient. Yeah. And you go, no, no. <laughs> profit is an indication of financial responsibility. It's yes. honoring to God. Yeah. It's absolutely honoring to God. Yeah. Because we've been efficient with resources and we have some extra that we can then use in Christian administration, gifts, uh, and we're p- pouring back into the business to grow it further. Yes. And so savings and profits are very much biblically honored, God honored. Um, again, if they're done ethically, of course, in selling a product and service that is consistent with God's character. And so a lot of these things you know, Christians are really mixed up with, and they don't understand in any way, shape, or form. And uh, if we think a $6,000 a night hotel room in London yeah. is a good idea, yeah. um, that's our prime minister. Yeah. You know? uh, that's our money. Yeah. That's our money. He doesn't care. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, again, so free markets are by far the most biblically consistent and also God-honoring uh, ways to conduct economics and also keeps us in checks as sinners. Yeah. It also but, generates the most economic success. I mean, there's yeah. no question about it that the free oh, yeah. market works better. So, yes. so where are all the rest of the Christian economic intellectuals? I mean, there's you and David Bonson and, you know, the late Gary North. And uh, and then other than that, what do we got? Milton Friedman and Thomas Sowell <laughs> who weren't believers. But um, that's... Where, where are where are all of you? <laughs> I mean, you're here. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I don't know. There's, there, there's another. There's another excellent gentleman who is a friend that um, is a is a very good thinker and uh, a Christian. Uh, uh, Peter Hall. I don't know if you've heard of Peter oh, Hall. Yeah. He just actually stepped down, retired from the EDC. He was he was the chief economist at the uh, um, um, the Export Development Corporation, and um, he's a good man too. He should actually. Um, Someone that would go on your show, I know Peter, and uh, I mean, he, again, he had to work within the strictures of government, mm-hmm. um, but did that in a very honorable way as a Christian, and certainly has tremendous insights. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would be early sixties, uh, lots of energy, and uh, doing some wonderful work in uh, on you know consulting and other activities uh, currently. So, there, I mean, there's a handful, but you're right, there's not an awful lot. It seems to uh, uh, you know people seem to be held captive captive to the uh, economic uh, philosophies of the day yeah and and they're very dangerous they're very very dangerous because it really deals with you know capital allocation and uh, and whatever you're talking about money and control and central banks and capital allocation it gets into some of the big issues uh, and implications are very large for all of us yeah so so one of the things that's coming out and all that you're saying, is what theologians call the antithesis. So the antithesis between sin and righteousness, belief and unbelief, that there's this, the world is not neutral towards God, that you either love God and are loved by him or you hate him. And what Satan is doing is inverting all that God meant to be good and it turning it and, and actually calling it evil, as we read the prophet, right? Woe to you, call evil good and good evil. It's it's a direct inversion. So what have we been told for 30 years? Well, free markets are greedy capitalists. Like, that's, that's right. all it is. Profits is only owing to greed. And if you want to care for people, especially the poor, you will be a socialist. Yeah. And what we're seeing is that played out without exception, 
has been the total inverse. That where you allow for people to take up responsibility to work and to gain profits, you actually see, one, there's never been a middle class before this. Like the middle class is a totally novel thing in world history. It's a result largely of reformational thinking. Um, mm. And so the, it's a total lie. I don't know if you want to touch on that, Jonathan, but I just I hear you talk and I'm like, everything that they tell us is the exact opposite yeah. of what is true. Yeah, you're exactly right. And I think as, as you guys know, I mean, the Marxists tried to use sort of the old Marxist lie on the Western countries and separate people on economics, mm. the, you know, the proletariat and the bourgeoisie. Mm-hmm. Um, and that didn't work because we had a middle class and people that worked in factories had high standards of living mm-hmm. up until the last 20, 30 years. Mm-hmm. And they could afford a home and live very comfortably mm-hmm. and had tremendous freedom. Mm-hmm. And so what they've resorted to, as uh, we all know, is then, okay, let's use other areas and other ways to divide people and to get them to attack each other. And that's mm-hmm. introduction of you know critical race theory mm-hmm. and uh, the whole issue of intersectionality. And then in, on the economic area, this whole ESG mm-hmm. um, area where they've uh, you know, corrupted um, uh, you know, all three of those areas. I mean, when they talk about environmental, they're not talking about um, anything to do with the environment that we're talking about. Uh, they're talking about attacking uh, the economic system and under, undermining the economy. When they're talking about social issues, they're talking about uh, sexuality and all sorts of uh, uh, perversions. And when they talk about governance, they're talking about gender identity and nothing to do with merit and uh, responsibility, but uh, the color of your skin. So, we, yeah, we have seen a complete inversion, and uh, it's quite... Uh, it's quite dis- disturbing to see that. And I think as Christians, um, we must go back to our worldview, our mm-hmm. fundamental mm-hmm. understanding. We have to understand the implications of that and not be so naive as to uh, uh, you know, what's coming out. And I think that's the biggest issue. People, Christians are not equipped theologically. They right. really don't understand the presuppositions and how they work themselves out yeah. into the various areas of life. And we saw that. Even more recently, if you think of the whole area of healthcare and the medical area yeah. in the last three years, uh, we saw, again, Christians really fall down in that whole area in responsibility, too. So one of the things you touched on, and I heard you speak on this before, and it actually really impacted Rebecca and I, um, and we shared it with our board on, or sorry, the teachers on Monday, is you reference Ecclesiastes 11. And you say, I'm just going to read this because I think this is an important point. That, that Jonathan has raised, especially in this time. And it says, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you do not know what disaster may happen on the earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and in the evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. I have a specific question. In the last several years, we have seen the... um, virtue of risk avoidance or or risk avoidance is cast as a virtue. So the reason the phrase stay home, stay safe carries any moral weight is because people feel avoiding risk is inherently righteous, is inherently virtuous. Um, 
And so we, that's why everyone went along with lockdowns. What I'm wondering is how this relates to the area of economics, personal and institutional, regarding savings versus producing or investing, maybe I'll say. And it was interesting. I tried to find Bible verses to justify savings recently, and it was actually hard to do. There's, there's, there's a principle of um, living within your means. There's a principle yeah. of thinking about tomorrow. And an inheritance. But, that's yes, an inheritance. But that's not actually the same thing as hoarding. And um, those are two different things. And we look at the parable of the talents. And so one of the temptations for Christians in this time, you already mentioned, Jonathan, is to simply try to survive through the... Um, not spending what we have. And while there's a certain virtue in that, that what the Bible seems to tell us is that faithful Christian living in this world, regardless of how, if we see the wind or if we see we're worried about what's going to happen, means sowing your seeds still. It means you still have to go and plant crops if you want to have a harvest. And so how do you think about this as a Christian, some involved in finances, like should Christians, should Christians be like building bunkers and, and just buying gold and Bitcoin and that's it? Or should we be building businesses and, and looking for investments that will accumulate and grow? And do you see a difference in those two activities? No, I think those are, those are excellent points, Alex. No, and I think that um, when we're talking to clients and we're talking to, you know, strong Christians and what, the, what they should do, is we're trying to get them to diversify and mm. to have a, you know their eggs in a few different baskets, including, mm. um, you know, some real estate and then you know they might own some silver and gold. That's fine, but it's not to bunker down mm-hmm. um, to own some businesses and you know and to to and to stay active. And so I think you you've hit the nail on the head. I think that Christians should not be preoccupied with retirement mm. um, and sitting back and just sort of living off their capital. Mm. They should be constantly thinking about how they're going to continue to deploy that capital mm-hmm. and and take some risk because we know the God who holds the future. If mm. anyone's going to take a risk, if you will, to use that word, it's those that uh, believe in the sovereignty of God and that mm-hmm. he's working out all his purposes for our good. Mm-hmm. And so we're not going to disengage from the economy and uh, and step back. I think we should be as busy as possible and we should be the entrepreneurs and starting businesses and making sure our capital has got some safety levers on it. Yeah. So in emergencies, we've got some uh, protection. And, and, and obviously, as people get older and they maybe have physical limitations and they cannot be as involved they're going to be able to do less yeah but to the extent that they can make sure that some of their capital continues to be a blessing and is being multiplied and even more so in kingdom work yeah so how can they again invest it back into kingdom work back into ed- christian education mm-hmm. into i think in the future uh more into christian medicine christian mm-hmm. healthcare, mm-hmm. as our healthcare system completely breaks down mm-hmm. and is controlled by really a culture of death so no i think we should be much more risk takers we should include we should encourage entrepreneurship amongst our young our young people to build businesses to invest back in those businesses to mm-hmm. hire other christians to be much more independent and um and to continue to have an impact on the uh, on the world and the economy i mean one of the things one of the things I enjoy in my own business is that, you know, I'm part of the financial service industry and I have my own company. I can run, run it, but I can have a, I have a voice. I have a yeah. say, I have an involvement in it. If we aren't 
aren't, if we're not running a business, if we're not, you know, just sitting in retirement and not working and so forth, we have less and less impact on the world that we're in. And we should yeah. be having a large impact. So one of the ways to be salt and light is to be allocating capital and working and creating products and services that, uh, that you can sell to other people and be involved in economic relationships. Yes. Um, we, we just had we just had our our custodian was by yesterday um, the, the custodian that's the the bank that where our clients hold their assets which is uh, one of the large chartered banks one of the, it's one of the smaller ones but uh, it was interesting he said he, we're all Christians here at uh, at Rocklink and he said uh, you guys are one of the nicest companies to deal with he mm. said just love all your people and I said I hope that's the case because we are all Christians and you know hopefully we're forgiving and when things don't work out well. Mm. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're kind and, uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, we're patient and things like that, but we still are tough on you. We, yeah. you, need, you need to get, you know, do what you have to do. And so I think, um, no Christians should look at much more involvement in the world. Um, I was fortunate in 1990 when I got in the financial service industry, I worked for, and for 19 years, a very, very entrepreneurial person, you know, mm-hmm. Michael Lee Chin, who has become, you know, much more well-known in, uh, in Canada, as a, he was an immigrant from Jamaica, the benefit of working with Mike, even though he wouldn't, you know, sh- you know, share the same intensity of, of Christian faith that I have, um, uh, he was certainly appreciative of that and was uh, was supportive. But I saw a person that was willing to take risk, yeah, and always looking for opportunities, yes, and that encouraged me in my own life. It was it was a positive stimulus, and I think as men. Uh, we need to encourage again the next generation. It's nothing wrong with take 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 a risk, mm-hmm. try something. If it doesn't work out, that's not that's not a failure. Yeah, um, that's that's uh, you're 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 growing in your in your knowledge of the world, and so I think that's something that as Christians we should. I think the the passage in Ecclesiastes and the wisdom literature and the Scripture speaks to that um, mm-hmm. in such powerful ways mm-hmm. that I just I love that passage in Ecclesiastes. You know, yeah, if you focus on the potential rain, you're never going to go out. If you yeah. think it's always going to be windy, you'll yeah. never do it. No. And yet every day we have to go out and do what we can do. And yeah. then at the end of the day, we'll see what God has, has, um, has blessed us with. And, uh, and God is gracious and, uh, he's amazing what he does through people who are just willing to do a little bit every day and, to, you know, make that steady progress in the kingdom. Yeah. You know? Well, Jeremy, Jeremy recently started his own business and uh, you would say that was a, a positive thing for you, finally pulling the trigger on that. Oh, for sure. It uh, Well, it means I'm not going to get fired for saying something wrong on Twitter, first of all. <laughs> um, <laughs> but now I'm, I'm having to start to think through this. So, uh, you know, I'm in my mid-40s. I've never put money aside for um, retirement uh, up until a couple of years ago when my the company I was then working for had um, uh, RSP donations, that sort of thing. But now that I'm on my own, I'm thinking, how am I going to do this? Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm going to be emailing you later. Just <laughs> heads up on that. I got some questions for you. But um, well, one of the benefits, one of the benefits is so as you invest in your own business, you're creating value. Mm-hmm. And one of the things you you should think about is how do I then sell that at some point? You can you can monetize um, the value of that business or hand it to another generation, and then in case they buy you out. So mm-hmm. when you are building a business, you're creating a nest egg also in that right. business. Yeah. So what I wanted to, if you were talking to a young man, this has been so helpful, by the way. Thanks so much, Jonathan. Um, 
we've, I've been trying to encourage several young men in my church to consider starting businesses for the reasons we're t- discussing. And now I recognize that if, if, it, if there is such a thing as an employer, there will be employees. So there will be guys who work for people and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but in as much we are telling men who are gifted and capable to don't let your fears be the thing holding your back. You know, you started a business later in your career. What would be, you know, two, three, four things if a young man came to you at Trinity and said, hey, um, I'm looking to start my own business. What would be some general counsel that you would give him in today's age? Yeah, I mean, well, count the cost. I mean, you do yeah. have to sit down, I think, and you develop a budget. I yeah. mean, the Lord uh, in, the, in the Bible tells us in, in the parables, Jesus speaks this, you know, you, you, the, the people of this world are more shrewd sometimes than uh, right. the, the people in the kingdom. And so I think you should, a budget. Okay, um, and uh, of course, what product and service you're going to offer, and think through your differentiation and why someone would want to uh, to buy that product mm-hmm. or utilize that service that you're making. So I do think you have to sit down, and have a business plan, mm-hmm. and and lay things out. Now you don't have to. I mean, business plans can get uh, uh, too extensive, but at least you have, you want to have a pretty good sense of where the money's going to come for the first little while and who's yeah. going to. Be supporting it so just to lay out a basic business plan and and uh, look at your competitors um, and uh, and then look at some create some mentors uh, find individuals that you can uh, bounce ideas off of and individuals who have been successful that are willing to you know answer questions for for you and uh, and give you some uh, give you some helpful points mm-hmm. along the way so mm-hmm. those are just the you know some very Fundamental, obvious, and essential things to do. Because sometimes people will say, "I'm just going to start a business," and they haven't really counted the cost. <laughs> yeah, and they and they because you do have to have a certain amount of money up front to start, yep. and you have to be able to go for a period without having much income, mm-hmm. and um, and 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 then so you should should plan some of that out mm-hmm. just so that you're not starting something and then getting discouraged in the next you know the next you know three to four months type of thing, and then just blowing out when you. It does take a while to build a business. It's like a hockey stick, right? It goes slow, and all of a sudden, um, it can really take off. And you want to be able to get to that point where you get the the benefits of all of that work and laying of the foundation, which is necessary um, in a business. So plan, have a couple of people you can talk to, um, have some good mentors, and um, and then away you go. Mm-hmm. The, the last question I have um, is another practical one. You know, as Christians, we value um, the person, we recognize the personal responsibility to work. And as Paul says, you know, um, a man who doesn't provide for his family is worse than an unbeliever and denied the faith. He's not rebuking people for being poor, right? He's rebuking men who refuse to take on the burden of love for their family, to be so indifferent to their, even their closest loved ones. Um, that they won't care for them. And, and such a man is in no meaningful sense a Christian. You, you can't have the love of God and not love even those who are most close to you and you're most responsible for. So we want to recognize that we won't have, and others who need our provision won't have unless we work. But And we want to reject a socialist view of economics that's purely redistribution. Um, but Christians in the past have built lasting institutions by partnering together. And so one of the things we've been thinking through, we started a private school 
because we believe that Christian education is one of the most important things we need to be giving ourselves to right now and into the future. And we are like those people who built the cathedral knowing that they would never worship in it. Their children would never worship in it. Maybe their grandchildren down the road. It takes a lot of people coming together to actually, unless you have several very wealthy people, which honestly in the long term isn't even as sustainable. Like, yeah, if, if, if Bill Gates gets converted and sets up an endowment for Cortha Classical Christian School, then sure. But <laughs> by all, by all <laughs> accounts, you know, that's not going to happen. Um, but my dad's family's from Holland, and he tells a story about, I think it was um, Leiden University, and it was built from, there's these cups that the poor Dutch people used to have in their homes, and they used to put their pennies or whatever in it. And it was their collection together. Um, that they gave and contributed um, towards this. So sometimes, I, in my mind, like if we want hospitals, right? I mean, we can't rely on healthcare. I spent time in healthcare and it's scary. I mean, it's we're, we're at a day and age where you don't know if mom and dad go in, if they're just going to euthanize them. Um, if we need hospitals, if we need schools, if we need these institutions, how do you think Christians work together in such a way that promotes personal responsibility, um, yet utilizes the gifts of the body, including their resources. Do you, have you thought about that? Well, I mean, I've, I've given it some thought, and I think the the need is there. And so there's no question that um, I think that Christians need to provide more and more products and services amongst mm. themselves. Right. And even in a bartering, even in a bartering economy, depending on what kind of interference we get uh, uh, with our, with our money and uh, uh, you know, digital currencies and all the things that could c- come out of that. Um, how, how that would work. I mean, I think it, after all said and done, we're just going to have to create really effective networks and prove the value of that so that people contribute to yeah, it. Yeah. Right. Um, and I think it, I think it will be, self-evident at the time, if you will. But uh, I, I do believe that, uh, I mean, in our own business, as they say, we're all Christians here and um, and we, we service a lot of Christians also. Yeah. And so it provides a place of employment for people who uh, share Christian values, mm-hmm. research analysts, research professionals, and, and uh, salespeople. In fact, even last year, we, we, we hired a new individual, came from the mutual fund industry in Toronto. And it, because of the secularization. It was just a harder and harder environment to work in. And, you know, some of the whole vaccination rules and things yeah. like that. And also we created that safe, you know, safer environment uh, where that person can excel and, uh, and, and develop their God given gifts. So I think it will become more self-evident, but I think that building communication channels amongst Christians, mm-hmm. amongst churches that share similar values, mm-hmm. we really need to network much more effectively. Mm-hmm. And then out of that, I think will come naturally, organically, yes. uh, the needs. You can think of another big area will be like, I think hospice care. Yep. Yes. Um, because yes. uh, with our mm-hmm. state, the state will not want to invest uh, we'll, we'll try to invest as little time as possible in anyone who is even remotely terminally ill. Yeah, and um, and they they it'll, it'll be a very difficult environment for people in that position, mm-hmm. and that's a perfect environment for Christians to demonstrate the love of God in Christ um, at, uh, at 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 point of death and uh, and so forth. And so, just like we've done with pregnancy centers and things like that, where we're trying to protect. So, so I think that. There will be more and more areas, and if the government increasingly becomes, you know, basically broke, yeah, um, and does less and less, 
um, they, you know, we might actually be able to do more things because yes, the can. government really can't do it anyway. Yeah. I mean, uh, and just like the Christian, just like the Christian schools, I mean, the government's, our, our public school systems are absolutely disintegrating right yeah. in front of our faces. And, mm-hmm. um, and we need, we absolutely need an alternative in schools like the Kawartha one and uh, what's happening with, uh, you know, Aaron Rock and yep. uh, we see with Jacob Renewum, the Trinity Bible and mm-hmm. the, these, they're, they're creating thriving schools, which mm-hmm. is absolutely essential mm-hmm. for the next generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think it's starting to happen, but we need to really work together and have, you know, share, you know, share common goals, share mm-hmm. common objectives, biblical mm-hmm. truth, and, uh, and not step back and let the society, uh, you know, push us off to the side. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. I mean, yeah. that's, yeah, that's so, I mean, so much. And last thing I, yeah, the last thing I say, I mean, as we know, the way the world is operating in a complete rejection of God, it's going to fall apart. Right. It's not going to be pretty. It's not going right. to work. Yeah. And so as Christians, we want to be showing an alternative, the yeah. better way, the right way. Mm-hmm. And uh, we just keep pushing. Is Even when they're pushing back against us, we know that uh, we are on the right side. We're on the winning side. And we have the truth. Mm-hmm. That's a city right. on a hill. Yeah. And you're right. That uh, stupidity never is a long-term uh, plan for success. Doug Wilson's <laughs> fond of saying, "Stupid doesn't work." So, <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and it, it's a shame because it's going to mean the destruction a lot of uh, a lot of our civilization and the things have been built up. But you're right; that is a great opportunity to rebuild things and uh, and uh, show the love of Christ through mm-hmm. how we do that. So, well, if that's it, you don't have any more questions. I'm good. I that's got so like a hundred more, but it's all about like. <laughs> You know, milk cartels and minimum wage and stuff like that. We'll, maybe we'll do that another time. But uh, for now, we'll, we'll leave everyone with this. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. We'll see you next time.